Things change from one generation to the next. Attitudes, politics, technology, even lifestyles. But when it comes to business, there's one thing every generation has in common. The pursuit of excellence. Welcome to Generation Excellence. A conversation with next-gen leaders of family businesses who are working to preserve the past and innovate the future. And now, here's the host of Generation Excellence and a third-generation business owner himself, Jamie Michelson. Jamie? Welcome back, or welcome for the first time to Generation Excellence. Today we have a special episode, kind of a speed MBA. My guest is William Alexander, lecturer at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and teacher of a course entitled Strategies and Practices of Family-Controlled Companies. Mr. Alexander doesn't just deal with the theoretical frameworks. He has a rich perspective, having served himself in a very successful generational family business. I know anyone in business, not just family business, will gain from this podcast. Let's go to class. So you're, you are a professor of family business studies at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Talk, talk to me about where your knowledge, expertise, passion for helping family business comes from, because I know it's multi-layered, and I'd love to just get that background. Well, it, it's uh, all about my uh, family background. I am, I am not a, an academic. I'm not a, uh, a PhD. I, I have a, a business degree, an MBA, but uh, I got that in order to uh, enter as the third generation in my family business. My, my grandfather started a engineering and construction company in uh, central and eastern Pennsylvania. Okay. And uh, my, my grandfather was a very unique uh, individual, uh, very humble, uh, very thorough, very honest, very community oriented, uh, and uh, he, he instilled a culture in our family business that uh, my father, who was his successor, thrived in. All right. Ultimately, it gave me a, a wonderful platform uh, for a, a, a wonderful career. So I, 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 uh, ran my family construction business for uh, 25 years All right. and uh, uh, decided that uh, uh, I had empowered successors in place and uh, it was time to move on. And my, my career in family business was so enjoyable and so rewarding that I said, you know, there's got to be an outlet to uh, share this with other people. And uh, that got me into uh, teaching. That's great. I mean, it's kind of a little bit where this podcast was born for me, which is being in a family business, serving other family businesses as clients and, and being a student of it and going, oh, I could learn by capturing these stories from, from others. So you, you bring the lecturing about it, but also the real world experience. Uh, how... The, fa- the, the, I mean, because you talk about continuity and succession and you help instruct people on that. So from your grandfather to your father to you, how orderly was that within your own? That first well, one. As I said, my, my grandfather was an uh, incredibly caring 
and, uh, and, and uh, driven individual. And he got interested uh, as, and this was back in the 1920s and 1930s, uh, way before uh, we had any federal oversight of the industry okay. in terms of safety. And he got very much interested in construction industry safety. So when my father was about uh, 40 years old, my grandfather totally retires from the business, takes the position as the uh, chairman of the safety committee of the Associated General Contractors of America, travels all over the country uh, preaching construction industry wow. safety. So he had, he had something to retire to, which uh, became a role model for my father. And so when I came into the business, uh, he had uh, his passion in terms of uh, senior care uh, activities uh, and, and uh, basically dealing with the elderly. Uh, and he uh, started to transition to me uh, when he was 60 years old with the idea being that at age 65, he would uh, totally retire. Unfortunately, he died of a heart attack at age 62. Oh, I'm sorry. So that's okay. sort of uh, messed up that uh, succession. <laughs> but, we, but, but we were in the process and it was... I mean, everybody knew that I was the successor. Right. So I just needed uh, a little bit of the external intel. So very, very little drama, and you try to help counsel those to have it be as smooth as your generational family business has yeah. been, which is now effectively in the fourth gen. It's just some non-family leadership. Is that correct? We have, well, my my elder son uh, runs our uh, uh, design. Uh, we had various divisions. And that, com that, com that business is called what exactly? Just so uh, Alexander Design uh, Studio. Got it. And uh, he runs that. Uh, but the, the legacy company, the construction company, uh, has uh, the, I have non-family managers that have acquired uh, those assets. Got it. Uh, you you teach about servant leadership. C could you define that term and also just elaborate on how your views on servant leadership have been informed? It sure sounds like you, you, what your grandfather went to do is sort of quote career too leads right into that, follows right out of that? Well, servant leadership is, uh, the word servant may be uh, uh, a little bit uh, misleading. Uh, what I really focus on is uh, low power distance, which means that uh, I, I advocate that the way you really run a family business is by having what I call referent power, which is the type of power that you get because people enjoy being around you, they want to work with you, uh, they, they respect you, uh, and it's not because you bear the title of president or owner or CEO. It's because you're, you're a human being that uh, people uh, want to be with and want to work with. You combine that with expert power, 
which is your knowledge and your ability to make decisions uh, that are strategic to the success of a business. And you put those two together and that's the type of uh, leadership that uh, I think uh, does well with the family owned business. Got it. So it's not positional power. I guess you could say it's it's servant leadership in that regard, but it's really uh, building uh, a reputation of uh, approachability, of sincerity, of caring, uh, and and then having people want to work for you uh, because you're that type of person. Where where did you first get kind of exposed to that concept, that phrase, in in your journey? Well. Uh, as, I, as I started to study family business more from an academic point of view rather than just living it, mm-hmm. I realized what my father and my grandfather did, which was uh, to, to empower me and give me the opportunities to make mistakes right. while they could mentor and prepare me for leadership. That's what my grandfather did with my father. Is what my father did uh, with me. And and that gets to, uh, that ties into this concept of low power distance and collective uh, thinking uh, because uh, they, they had this vision that they wanted to see the business perpetuate itself. And obviously it needs empowered leadership right. to do that. And so they, they can't, keep making all the decisions they've got and, and I couldn't keep making all the decisions as I prepared my next generation. You've got to allow the uh, individual, the potential successors to learn by actually doing. It's a, I, I find it so exciting when the people within the company have these ideas. I didn't have that idea. I wouldn't have had yeah. that idea. It's a better idea than I would have had. It's. And, and, and well, that's that's exactly the that's exactly the right approach, and is, is exactly the right outcome. I like to think have. I still have a couple of cards up my sleeve, but <laughs> not all of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, in your coursework, students learn about and submit papers around a family constitution. Can you? I know, and I know there are components to that, and and. We're doing this interview here, December of 2019. There's a lot of talk about the U.S. Constitution, obviously, but what? Uh, can, just detail what that encompasses, that concept. Well, the the, the first thing uh, is the the process of doing a constitution. Uh, there, there's a constitution is basically a set of rules by which the family agrees to administer their uh, family business. Uh, and the the only way that you'll get an entire family to agree uh, to a set of rules is to have the whole family participate. Yeah. Developing those rules. Uh, so it can't be, you know, one person effort, take it or leave it. It's got to be something that the family uh, embraces because they had a role in uh, developing. So that means that you need to start with getting the family comfortable with being in the room with each other okay. and, and trusting each other and being able to communicate 
and, and to, to do some very hard negotiations uh, on some of the items that are in the Constitution. Uh, but once you get the family trusting each other, being able to communicate with each other, uh, then you can go about the process of doing the Constitution. As opposed to the U.S. Constitution, family business constitutions are not legally binding. <laughs> they, they are only guidelines that you want the family, because they trust each other, to, uh, to abide by. Uh, but it, it regulates uh, who can work in the business, who can own the business, uh, what the rules are for transferring ownership, what the rules are for transferring uh, leadership. Uh, and it also deals with uh, family issues totally outside the business, which in many cases can impact the business sure. if the family doesn't deal with it. And, and these are items such as divorce, uh, mental disability, uh, uh, addiction. I mean, uh, any anything that could impact the ability of the family to produce the resources necessary to compete in business uh, need to be addressed in the Constitution. And at what point uh, in your family business that you've talked about did did you come to develop the Constitution? We we developed our Constitution uh, when the third generation uh, came uh, into the business. And I think the, a good rule of thumb for any family is when you have children that grow up in different households, that's when it's time to do a constitution. You don't want cousins to be told one thing in one family and another thing yeah. in another family as it relates to what the rules are for working in the business and owning the business. So it's important that the parents and the children are, are all together when when you start having family branches where you have children that aren't being raised in the same family. Yeah, our, our family advertising agency, a little unique in that the third generation still, myself, my siblings are from the same household, but yeah. we do face that. So you said when the third generation came into your business, so was that just you or were, did you have some siblings as well? Well, I have, uh, I had two cousins and I have a sibling. So there were four of us four of you. in the, in the third generation, uh, that, uh, grew, uh two, two each in different okay. families. So uh, that's when our family put the, the rules in place. And then you mentioned and you teach how important trust is in a family business. And you, you talked about that being comfortable in the room and trusting. Uh, how How is that built? But also, how can that be destroyed? And I mean, mostly we keep this on the positive and the upside, but there are some cautionary tales. So I wonder if you have some examples of both trusting and non. Well, you know, we use the word trust uh, pretty freely without really examining uh, yes. what really makes up trust and and when i when i try and teach in the course are there's four four real components trust the one is 
the first is, you know, is the individual genuine? Uh, or does, is there an agenda that is self-serving and, 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 you know, goes beyond being a genuine individual? Uh, the, the, the second one is, does that individual or does the individual that you want to trust uh, actually communicate that they, they care about you? I mean, is there a certain amount of caring? Just just things like, do they, they, do they want to hear my opinions? Uh, mm -hmm. Do they want my input on anything? And that's sort of a symbol of caring. Uh, the third aspect of trust is, uh, can the person be counted on to produce when they say they're going to produce and produce what they, what they say they're going to produce? And the fourth thing is competence. Uh, are they competent? uh to do uh whatever they're expected to do in the family and in the business so back to your question of how do you destroy trust uh you can any one of those four things can okay. destroy trust uh you can have an individual that uh, is so self-centered and only focused on themselves that uh the rest of the family you know will it'll it'll splinter the family because no one will want to do anything with that individual. Uh, if, if you have a person that doesn't feel that meeting deadlines and fulfilling responsibilities, uh, that can, that'll destroy trust. And if you have an individual that's performing in a, in a position that they're not qualified to perform in so that there's no competence, that'll destroy trust. Got it. I mean, that, so, that, those four variables or factors really apply to every Buddy who's involved in the organization. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. As, as, you, as you outline. Family or non family. Right, right. But, but it becomes even more complex with the family members because you have such long standing relationships. No, and the fa I mean, the family dynamics are what make this interesting and fascinating and studied. And I found in the podcast world, there's way more out there for startups than there are for businesses that are finding themselves talking about these generational shifts and maybe they're, oh, I guess it's just volume of businesses. What you, you, you quote some statistics in, in, in the area of no guarantees, you know, what percentage make it to the third generation as a business to the fourth generation. What, what's the, the latest academic data on that? Uh, it's pretty uniform. Uh, whether it's uh, worldwide or here in the United States, uh, it, it's generally 30% uh, uh, make it through the second generation. Okay. Uh, 12 to 15% uh, of the second generation make it to the third, and 3% uh, make it to the fourth. Wow. I mean, it's so uh, you... now that doesn't mean that the businesses fail or right. that the, you know the things you you read in the, the wall street journal about the family dysfunction destroying a business that doesn't mean that only three percent make it because you know they've been able to avoid all the or most of the family pitfalls a lot of those businesses have been very successful but they've been sold sold or, acquired yes yes yeah, or family members have made conscious decisions that the next generation isn't interested 
So it's best to have a liquidity event for the family. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're failures. It just means that for a family to provide that continuity, uh, only 3% make it to the fourth generation. And, and that's why you talk about being comfortable being in the room because now as you go further along in that journey, that, that's, that topic starts to be part of the conversation. And, exactly. and so the coursework you're doing is both helping to, I, I mean, not everyone that's in your class, I mean, there's just only so few people that are from that, that lineage, but where they can have some education early in their life. So maybe they can be prepared to perpetuate something further into the generations. I, I mean, it's a, it's a unique course at Wharton. Wharton's obviously well known for its uh, financial uh, management, uh, investment, uh, uh, and the uh, Wall Street type uh, uh, financial uh, majors. But uh, this particular course focuses on basically uh, putting the right culture in place uh, that allows a family to to perpetuate uh, the leadership in the business and to keep the ownership structure uh, stable. And that, that gets into issues like uh, uh, building trust among family members, yep. uh, empowering family members, being able to resolve conflict among family members, being able to change, uh, which of course, all the, those are important for every business but they're particularly important for a family. When you, when you say being able to change, what do you what do you mean by that? Well, so often uh, in family business, uh, you have the patriarch that starts the business, yeah, and, and the family may feel it's a, it's almost a sacrilege to change the product or to 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 abandon that product and move on to something else and and we i went through that uh, a, a little bit when we and when we perpetuated our real estate and and design function but we no longer have the construction function which is what my grandfather got actually it started. so you got to be able to change with the talents of the family and change with the times uh, and so often families get stuck in tradition. Okay. And, and, you know, that, that perfect lead to my next question, which is you also teach how over time businesses become more complex. So, and at this moment in time, digital disruption is really, at least adds a lot of complexity to a lot of different businesses. Any advice for family businesses just to deal with the current pace of change, or maybe from your perspective, we think this time is different and it's not so different. <laughs> That's a great question. I think that in a, a fast paced uh, economy with dramatic change, particularly from a technological point of view, the one thing that families have as a real competitive advantage is the consistency of their value system. Okay. And as, as much as change takes place uh, in, the, in the workplace, if you can maintain consistent values and, and by 
values, uh, I, I define values as the rules by which you do everything. And, and if uh, I just give you one So not example. just what you say, but actually how you perform and what you do, right? Yeah, it's, it's everything that you do reflect uh, a, a rule uh, values are a set of rules and let's just take one rule uh, as an example the rule is that we will respect and empower our employees okay. you know, they are they are the backbone of what's going to make us successful so we're going to invest in them okay so if that's the rule then it doesn't matter how fast paced the economy is going, you're committed to keeping your employees up to date, relevant, educated, trained to do exactly what the fast moving economy Great. dictates. So I contend that if there's one thing that you don't want to change, it's it's your value system, as long as it's the right value system. And that's what we talk about in the course, what is the right value system? And we, we wrap that up in the phrase called stewardship. Got it. And, and, and do you find, cause I, I found, uh, having attended one of those, uh, transitions East family business conferences a few years ago, where the title of that particular year's conference was values based businesses are valuable businesses that we had values at this company for a long, long time. We just hadn't codified them very well because founders creating a business in the Great Depression, they're not sitting down doing wall graphics. They're just trying to make <laughs> payroll. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, or, or, well, or booklets. But on, the other hand, but on the other hand, that, that individual in the Depression, and it's interesting that you mentioned that because that's exactly... Same era your firm comes from, yep. Yeah, uh, that value system was still there. It's just that the priorities were on meat and favor. Right, right. And, and, and that's a value in itself. You know, we're going to sacrifice to make sure our workers get paid. That's true. That's true. I, I, I have this, you know, because my father still comes into our company most every day. He's, what is he now, 78 years old. So he's been involved in this this business, uh, the, you know, the first 34, 35 years he wasn't, but so I really wonder what was it like year four, you know, uh, year two, uh, I mean, I've heard some stories. We have not been the best archivists. We're trying to capture like you and I are recording audio. We did, uh, somebody did some interviews with my father to, to capture some of those stories from the founders because they're quite interesting. Uh and, uh, that's uh, and, and and I think that's great because it goes back to the values that those people instilled. Because probably the, their own individual values, particularly the founders, basically become the values of the business because they're they're the values that they're comfortable with. Well, and one of the values, one of our values, we actually did uh, a series of exercises involving everybody in the company a few years ago and some sorting exercises and got down to sort of the six core values, one of which is family. Now, there are a lot of businesses that aren't family business that still have that as kind of a 
a value because they operate or act that way. You, you use a phrase "familyness" or a word "familyness." What just for the listeners? Yeah, define the, that the a word bit. the familyness is I define as a a set of values that are unique to a family, uh, and I guess a, a an example uh, would would be uh, a good example. I mean, you use uh, the Wawa business, right? You The the Wawa company, is that a company that you profile in your coursework? Wawa. Yes. Yes. uh, It's a uh, uh, convenience store chain uh, along the Atlantic coast. And and their value system uh, now they they they're uh, a Mennonite family, uh, which is uh, from the Anabaptist tradition of uh, the Christian religion. Okay. Uh, but and they they use uh, I mean, and, and I think religion does play a role in the value systems that are uh, yeah. installed in, in businesses. There's not a separation, but whether it's Hindu or uh, 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 or one of the Eastern religions, I mean, it still will influence the value system uh, that you have. But anyway, back to familyness, the Wawa family, the Woods family, uh, has this unique set of values. That... My, my daughter sent me the book. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> very good. Uh, that uh, is, you know, they're, they're, the way they deal with their employees the way they deal with their community, uh, the way they deal with uh, environmental issues, uh, the way they, you know, deal with uh, governmental issues. Uh, these these are all uh, things that families bring together. This bundle of of values, and if the values are in the right place, it gives you competitive advantage because you're able to produce distinctive resources. Uh, I, I go into Wawa uh, quite often, and I'm, I'm very impressed with the person behind the cash register. Uh, they're, they're not employees, they're associates. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, uh, they, they, they have the Wawa uniform on, and the store has all kinds of signs uh, indicating how important that person is that's waiting on you and uh, what you know what their standards are for the customer uh, employee relationship and families can sort of promulgate that much more than a public corporation sure and I, I was glad to get that book and read it because I knew Wawa from travels in the East but I didn't know the story and even the origin of the name and it that just that you can still have fun and joy in these in in business uh, yeah. because there's a little less of that going on right now. Uh, you know, super data driven and sense of humor tend to be not on the same in the exact same place. Uh, family involvement policy is that that's a component then of what we were talking about earlier in the Constitution, right? Those 
those that guidelines. Okay. Yeah, and that uh, so often you you focus on when you you think of family involvement, you think of you know what are the requirements for a child to be able to work in the business. Correct. And that's part of the family involvement policy, but. Uh, Total family involvement goes to uh, you know who can own stock, and if you're Got an it. owner, if you're an owner, what are your rights and responsibilities? Uh, maybe you shouldn't be able to own stock unless you can at least read a financial statement and and basically understand uh, the key metrics of how how the business that you own operates. Uh, so your family involvement policy should spell out, you know, the, the criteria for ownership. And too often family businesses, particularly here in the United States, in order to save tax money, they'll gift stock to children without preparing those children to become owners. Got it. So family involvement policy uh, will deal with uh, the requirements of the family to educate their shareholders. Uh, then the family involvement policy should also entail career management, uh, evaluations uh, to make sure the child's getting good feedback. And remember back to our, our basic uh, discussion of uh, empowerment, uh, you know, how, are, how is that child empowering themselves to be able to take over? What kind of a resume are they building? What kind of relationships are they establishing? What's their reputation in the business in terms of reliability? How much knowledge do they have of the business and, and what are their skills and being able to communicate uh, in the business? So the family involvement policy is, is much more than saying, you know, how many years you got to work outside the business before you can join the business. But it's, it's, it, it, it covers every bit of involvement that the family has with the business to eliminate any ambiguity about what the requirements are to do anything. Yeah, as, as I'm listening to you, Professor Alexander, I realize we have, and I know from some notes we've shared with each other, work to do here yeah. as hopefully, I mean, not in a scary way or a daunting way. And I'm hoping others that listen that, you know, the small listener base that have that perpetuating family legacy and heritage can can learn from this what are i mean what are some other best practices of of legacy family firms that we haven't touched on or that maybe just don't get a lot enough discussion or enough attention well i think uh particularly as the firm grows uh the key thing that we haven't talked about is the, the accountability of the CEO to the perpetuation of the business. Uh, it's, uh, and I experienced it, and, and you are too, uh, to, to run a, a highly respected business in your community. Uh, it, it can be intoxicating. And and, and I think that the important thing is to always remind the CEO of their responsibilities to get this business to the next generation so that future generations 
can enjoy that same feeling of pride and and uh, in the participation. Uh, and and so that gets to how do you how do you keep the CEO accountable? And I uh, I'm a strong advocate of uh, boards of directors with uh, outside participation, sure. with non-family uh, experts in, uh, in business management, uh, being on basically on the family business team to help the family, who by this time is much more complex, get to the next generation. So accountability to the CEO, I think, is incredibly important. Uh, particularly as you get to the third and fourth generation, to make sure that uh, you 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 never take your eyes away from the responsibility of empowering the next generation to take over. Great. Well, I definitely dealing with that. Uh, I got to ask you a couple of other things, and then I'll get to you like the questions I should have asked you. Your classes interact with you other academics, family business practitioners, some of this is from one of your older syllabus, syllabi, and psychologists. Can you share like what psychologists you brought in, what they share with your students, what what that area is? Understanding, I met my wife at Penn, she studied psychology. So we've got to get the whole family covered here. <laughs> well, uh, the, the, the psychologists, uh, teach uh, communications and, uh, and and within the communications aspect of it, I think the biggest uh, component of uh, the psychological uh, uh, part of the course is insight. Uh, insight into your own behavior, mm -hmm. why, why you get mad at certain things uh, why you have certain reactions when people say things, uh, why you like to do things in a certain way. Uh, and, and if you can just, and, and for Wharton students in particular, who, who have enjoyed huge success in their life, they wouldn't even be in the classroom. It, it's, 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 I think it is very important to get them to reflect on who they are because that's how they're going to behave in a family business meeting in, in a meeting where you're talking about a constitution and and you're going to have people in that room that uh, think totally different yeah no that's very valuable their family members so insight i i think is incredibly important and not only into your own behavior but but trying to understand that when your brother your father your mother says something to you it's an accumulation of a lifetime of relationship and not just a spur of the moment reaction to something that you you may have said and 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 to, to get people to appreciate that and not get upset you know and not get it you know you, you, one of one of the uh, yeah because a lot of what we've talked about one of the takeaways is you never respond to conflict with conflict Okay. And, and, and so it, it, the easiest way not to respond with conflict is to, you know, to, to realize that there's a lot of history uh, behind whatever was said to you that got you upset. It, it, and, 
Isn't it, isn't it fascinating how many times people hand out like copies of the art of war and that's what they're yeah. trying to get across. <laughs> yeah. And what exactly. the recipient thinks is they're trying to get them to be more of a killer or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, so, so where you were going, that insight into your own behavior and others. I, I mean, I know I, I'm proud of Wharton, I, you know, generational family connection there, but you can have that syndrome of always having or wanting to be the smartest person in the room. And, and that, that needs to be taught out, I guess. Right. Well, these, yeah. And you, that's well said. You, you yeah. just have to appreciate that. And, and you got to respect everybody for who they are, even though you may be the smartest person in the room. And, and you really are dealing with the rational and the emotional parts of, of family business and business. And, and that's, I mean, cause you know, a lot of the people that go through your coursework, they're going to go work in all kinds of different places. These, these principles still apply. What do you, what do you call the, the, so my grandfather and his partner were the founders of this advertising agency. So they were true entrepreneurs. The, the, you know, you get to sort of where I'm sitting, which is, was presented an opportunity. Fantastic. But, you know, and I have some entrepreneurial spirit in me, but what do you refer to as those people that are leading businesses that far down the line, legacy wise, what do you call them? I, I, I think uh, they can still bear the title entrepreneurs okay. because uh, you know, the, the, you've got to constantly be seeking to find niches and needs that need to be satisfied. And whether you're the founder or the fourth generation, you, the, the thought process should still be the same opportunity recognition. And, and the only difference is that the founder is building it on you know, either the credit of somebody who believes they have a good idea, whereas the third or fourth generation leader has the benefit of resources that the previous generations have, have produced to be able to apply to that opportunity recognition. So I would hope that you're still entrepreneurs. You just are doing it with family assets. That, that's, that, that's great. Because we're, are you familiar with, uh, uh, a program. Uh, the book is called Traction. It's called EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. No, I'm not. Uh, it's actually Michigan founded, but kind of uh, implementers around the, the country, the world. It's something that we're kind of taking on as we go into what we looked at, as we said, next year is a new year, a new decade, a double decade, our 90th, 200th. So it's a real reason, kind of a refresh look at things type of moment in time. Well, and I think every family should have a fresh look at things. Yeah, you want to do it all the time. It, sometimes there's some natural milestones that really, yeah. in a good way. That's true. Yeah, That's true. foster it, not 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 from great distress or whatever. So you're, you're sought out for counsel by generational businesses, even beyond the classroom. And I know you've done a lot of things with the Hershey company, board, trust, what are what kind of calls do you get, or what situations are you brought into? Well, uh, I am not uh, going all the way back to our very first uh, set of questions about my background. Uh, I'm clearly not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, so if me neither. Yeah, so, <laughs> although we do feel I, like we're putting I, people on the couch sometimes. Yeah, normally I will get. Uh, involved 
with a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Okay. He was a family business counselor. And once he or she has intervened successfully to get the family, uh, you know, to be working together, that's when I get the call to come in uh, and, and my, my uh, uh, biggest accomplishments have been setting up boards of directors uh, and getting constitutions in place okay. once the family is functional. Uh, if, I, if I get a call dealing with uh, dysfunction within the family, I, I have to refer that Got it. Uh, to somebody else. So it's almost a different form of the construction business. There's some foundational yeah, work has to get done. Then, right. then you yeah. you come in and do your piece. So yeah. uh, tell for for my listeners the exact thing, the course that you teach. I what, management two three three two thirty three eight thirty three. Is yes. that right? What is the yeah. exact course name? Just so I we get it right. Uh, the strategies and practices of family controlled corporations. That that pretty much nails it. And 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 you're usually, because you're leading a class, you're asking a lot of the questions. I get to do that for a little bit of time with you today. But what um, what what other questions do you get asked often or questions I should have asked you or ones that you kind of are on your greatest hits list? Well, the, uh, obviously Wharton has a, a huge international uh, uh, constituency and more and more Asians all of whom have grown up in a Confucian uh, culture. And the Confucian culture has uh, two, two components that, that are exactly the opposite of what I advocate. <laughs> One is uh, the fact that the, the patriarch has a responsibility to his family uh, for uh, their well-being uh, throughout his life. Uh, the second being that uh, the children, uh, because of the patriarch's uh, role, the children must uh, have filial piety and respect for the patriarch. And, and this creates a very high power distance and a, a, a inability in many cases of the of the parent to empower the child interesting uh, to take over the business and and so as i teach this concept of low power distance uh i get many questions from the asian students what do i do mm -hmm. i mean it's uh, my I, I can't my i can't envision my father with all his peers they're also patriarchs of their businesses. I can't imagine my father saying, well, that's old fashioned. You know, I want to perpetuate this business. And particularly the Chinese students who are only going through the first generation of sure. private, privately owned business. And they're going to learn on the job. And I'm confident that just like we learned in this country back in the 19th century, how to get a business from one generation to the next. Uh, they'll do the same thing, but I'm telling them how to do it. But it's just so countercultural right now that it generates a huge number of questions. Very interesting. I learned about filial piety 
from Digby Baltel's course at the University of Pennsylvania, <laughs> bringing things uh, full circle. And uh, so, and, and, and any other, uh, I guess, questions you have of me, just because we shared some documents about our our family business or no, final I, words of I, wisdom? I mean, you shared with me your your agreement, your, your ownership succession uh, documents. And I, I think uh, you are, uh, you know, as long as families are asking questions, it, uh, governance is a journey and, you know, that you, you adopt and you change uh, as the family and, and, and the industry and the businesses change. Uh, as long as you're on that journey and never get discouraged and recognize and, and maybe this is the final point. Why do all of this? Yeah. The reason you do it is because families, and, and this is statistically uh, 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 verified by research, family businesses over economic cycles can and do outperform any other form of business enterprise uh, if they're properly run with the right value systems. And 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 that's why you do it, uh, and that's why you 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 learn to get along with your brothers and your sisters, and and you share information and you trust each other, because you can perpetuate these values from one generation to the next. Family businesses can uh, have a much more long-term uh, view of the business world uh, than public corporations can, you have to report uh, quarterly. Uh, and and you've got this huge overlap of ownership and management. So you don't get into a lot of the conflicts that, uh, that you know, you have separate owners, right. whether private equity or publicly owned uh, stocks and, 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 and the management of the company. So there, there's this alignment so family businesses, if you make them work right, have all these advantages for great resources that other type businesses can. Well, uh, Professor William Alexander, I, I thank you for your time because you've kind of fired me up about for this I this this concept to keep sorting this business we have, but also for sharing some of this learning with with other listeners on the uh, the Generation Excellence podcast and. I look forward to kind of continuing kicking this stuff around with you for a while. Generation Excellence is hosted by me, Jamie Michelson, with help from SMZers Eric Freiberger, Sam Daly, Eric Head, and Joel Bienenfeld. Thanks also to Randy and his team at Stage 3 Audio. Thank you for listening, and please give some of the other episodes a try. One more thing. If you have comments or a suggested future guest, please don't be afraid to contact me.